Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. The main textbook for my class at Candler was an absolute joy to teach from, but my most favorite line of all is the author's directive to give your imagination over to the Lord to be a sanctified part of your ministry. And that is the challenge I lay before us now as we prepare to encounter the Word of God. Can we offer God our sanctified imagination? Ready? Here we go. Have you ever imagined Jesus reading the Bible? Now, the Bible that Jesus read was, of course, the Hebrew Bible, what many call the Old Testament. And from Jesus' ability to quote that sacred text, we can surmise that he studied it seriously. Now, when we study Scripture, part of what we naturally seek is how does that Scripture speak into our lives? Did Jesus do that too? For example, what would it have been like for Jesus to read the call stories of early prophets? when he read about the claim that God placed on the life of a prophet like Jeremiah, did Jesus read that call story and find in it a word to him? Can we imagine how it might have shaped Jesus' life, his response to the call that he himself had from God? Well, with our sanctified imagination, let's listen. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, ah, good Lord, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See today, I point you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Beyond reading Bible stories, what about Jesus' prayer life? The New Testament tells us that Jesus often went apart from other people to pray. Prayer was an important component of Jesus' relationship with God. The Gospels even share some of Jesus' actual prayers, including the lament that he prays on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which, as you may know, is the opening line of the 22nd Psalm. I've heard the book of Psalms called the hymnal that Jesus used. And it seems likely that Jesus prayed any number of psalms. So here now, a portion of Psalm 71, mindful that Jesus might have prayed this prayer. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. 
Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. uh, Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O my Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from my birth. It was you who took uh, took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Amen. As I mentioned, the adult Jesus often quoted the Hebrew Bible. He was a faithful, scripturally literate Jew. But since Jesus is also the Word of God made flesh, his relationship with scripture is uniquely complex. Ancient prophecies like those of Isaiah came to pass by means of Jesus' birth, ministry, death, and resurrection. In fact, fulfilling scripture is a biblical way of naming how Jesus led his entire life. The fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke tells this in a particularly dramatic fashion. So listen once more for the word of God. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and then he began to teach them. Today, in your hearing, the scripture has been fulfilled. All bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is not this Joseph's son? Jesus continued. Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do also here in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow of Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove Jesus out of town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through their midst and went on his way. That was Jesus' first sermon. And it's also every preacher's worst nightmare. You preach what the Holy Spirit has given you to preach and your people want to throw you off a cliff. (laughs) 
On one occasion when the Methodist Bishop Will Willimon encountered this text, his sanctified imagination led him to hear those Nazareth townspeople saying, I have never seen this congregation so united. <laughs> so what happened there? Well, I think those folks had lost touch with their sanctified imagination. Now, in this grown-up world of ours, imagination might get dismissed as childish. So let me clarify that imagination is not the same as fantasy or frivolity. And in today's cultural climate, I might also need to add that imagination is not a substitute for facts. Imagination is the power to see beyond what is currently obvious. Imagination helps us sense what we cannot yet know. Imagination opens possibilities and feeds courage. It makes room for hope and makes possible both innovation and empathy. Imagination is the work of the Holy Spirit. And imagination is a key component of faith. How else can we possibly believe what Jesus tells us here of good news for the poor and freedom for the oppressed? That is not currently obvious. We need to imagine with God. So I love that one of the questions asked of everyone being ordained in the denomination of ours, whether ordained as a minister of word and sacrament or as a ruling elder on session, one of the questions asks if you will serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. Those are the attributes lifted up as necessary for every ordained office in the PCUSA. Energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. When I discuss that list with new officers, imagination is often the unexpected ingredient. But it makes all the difference. And we see why when we visit the townspeople of Nazareth. Now, we know their ancestors were people of sanctified imagination, able to imagine that God would make a way out of no way. Think of all the sacred stories of apparent impossibility overcome by God, slavery overcome by liberation, barrenness overcome by fertility, hatred overcome by love. But these townsfolk seem to have stagnated in the way things are, which is a perspective utterly devoid of imagination. Worse, their understanding of the way things are, kind of like our understanding of the way things are, is all about them. And Jesus challenges that then and now. Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, as the text puts it, has embarked upon a regional preaching tour which is so well received that his fame precedes him into his hometown. On the Sabbath, he shows up to worship, as was his custom, it says, as is our custom. And he volunteers to be the lector. In that culture, any male could read or preach from the Torah or prophets. And in a passage that is the oldest known account anywhere of a synagogue worship service, Luke tells us that Jesus is handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah in which Jesus carefully locates what may be his favorite Bible verse. 
and what is certainly his mission statement. And he reads it aloud. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus takes a seat. Sitting is the posture that was used for teaching. And he makes the most astonishing statement. Today, in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. And everyone oohs and ahs. But then Jesus makes the interpretive move of referencing two other scripture passages that he and they and we all hold sacred. He brings up two ancient stories, one from what we now call First Kings and one from what we call Second Kings, two stories of great prophets, Elijah and his protege, Elisha. And these prophets were associated with famous miracles, but what interests Jesus about the miracles is that they were not restricted to the people of Israel. In fact, these two great prophets of God seem to have detoured around the people of Israel to spread God's grace to others, even enemies of Israel. What Jesus is emphasizing, and this will be a theme throughout the Gospel of Luke, is that God's power and goodness are not owned by anyone, but rather are available for everyone. Now, this infuriates the crowd so horribly that they decide not only to run Jesus out of town, but to kill him while they're at it. Of course, Jesus survives. He lives to die another day when another crowd will swing from oohs and ahs and hosannas in the highest to the hasty decision to haul Jesus up to the top of a hill in order to put him to death. But that's not today's story. In today's story, these are people who've known Jesus all his earthly life. My sanctified imagination wonders if that Sabbath day crowd could have included one of Jesus' childhood friends, perhaps someone to whom small Jesus once said, do you ever wonder if God is calling you? You know, like God called Jeremiah? The sort of thing a soulful child might say. Or maybe in that crowd are Jesus' next-door neighbors who were in that very same synagogue years earlier when Jesus first prayed aloud the Psalms, learning the language that would form his own prayers. Whoever they were, they lacked the sanctified imagination needed to imagine with God, to imagine the new thing that God is doing, that hometown crowd could not imagine that their hometown boy was also their Messiah. They could not imagine that God's promises might actually be fulfilled. And they could not imagine that their God's favor was extended to everyone else. That place of worship where Jesus spends his Sabbath had been structured by and for those who held power in Nazareth. In other words, the synagogue's men. And Jesus' assertion that others, a widow of Zarephath, a general of Syria, Jesus' assertion that those others 
were also blessed by God, well, that gets the local power holders all riled up. And it doesn't take much imagination to note that our great nation, and I do mean that, was structured by and for those who had power in colonial America. In other words, white, straight, cisgendered Protestant men. And across the past two centuries, as folks have imagined with God that all of the blessings of God are meant also for people of color, for women, for LGBTQ individuals, for persons of any faith, and even for the planet itself, those assertions keep getting the power holders all riled up. Right now, we are in a particular spasm of that. Progress in women's equality has been eroded. Hate crimes have risen against all sorts of othered individuals. And the idea that what black children have had to be strong enough to endure, white children are strong enough to learn about? That has struck a defensiveness that's ready to throw truth and reconciliation right off a cliff. Imagine if those townspeople of Nazareth had deployed their sanctified imagination. Instead of losing themselves in brutish violence, they could have found themselves in the life-giving ministry of their friend and Messiah. They could have imagined with God that God's promises really are being fulfilled. That's why we need to engage our imagination, imagining with God beyond what is currently obvious, imagining genuinely equal access to housing and food and safety, to health care and education and the vote because we got to imagine it before we can figure out how to work toward it in service to our always doing a new thing, God. Church, what God is doing is so far beyond what is currently obvious that we need the power of sanctified imagination to help us align our lives with God's mission, focused on everyone, the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed, focused on everyone. God is at work. And we, all us ordinary townspeople, we are invited to pitch in. Imagine that. Imagine that with God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.